<laughs> yes, there's a delay on my end. <laughs> there's a delay. Can you hear me this time? I can hear you this time. Guys, for anyone not listening, it's definitely spooky season because Erica's computer just became possessed and took all of her audio away. So that that totally just happened. It's fine. So anyways, welcome to Southern Science Chicks. Welcome. Oh, I start. My name is Erica and I'm a scientist. <laughs> and my name is Katie and I am not a scientist. I'm also a great big believer in the paranormal. I want to throw that out there. So that makes it an excellent time to start celebrating spooky season. Spooky now that season. It's, well, by the time this comes out, it'll be October. As long as the highs aren't in the 90s, then it's spooky season. Yeah. Don't forget, we're in Louisiana. And um, in Louisiana, the second it hits the 80s, we put on a jacket. Like, I was walking outside last night, and it was 68. And I was, like, in sweatpants, full hoodie like Erica's wearing right now. Yeah, I am a, wearing a sweatshirt hoodie right now. It's 77 degrees outside and sunny, and I'm insisting on wearing a full hoodie. Because that's cold for us. It's straight up cold for us. Yeah, I'm very cold natured. And it's also, you know, like, I feel like it is technically spooky season. It's like, it's like October Eve. By the time this comes out, it'll be October. Yeah. Right. And like, it's like, you know, it's like end of September is when you start looking towards October. Yes. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe the ghosts get like a little extra happy. And, um, and I definitely have been excited for spooky season uh, because this is my favorite science topic to learn about and talk about uh, because I'm obsessed with all things scary. And I recently bought a video game called The Last of Us. Have you played it? I have watched the first one being played, you know, I haven't played it myself. Okay. Oh my God. First of all, terrifying video game. So scary. It is literally so scary. Um, so you're like playing like this guy, like in like a, a I'm, I'm not going to give it away because like the beginning scene is like one of those heart wrenching things you've ever seen. And like, essentially what it comes down to is there's like this like mold fungus thing that like is infecting people and turning them into like raging zombies, which is like such like a unique take on zombies. And I didn't know how I felt about it at first because I was like, you know, I'm thinking like 28 days later, I'm thinking Night of the Living Dead, you know, you need to bite something, there needs to be blood transfer. But apparently that's the more realistic thing is like brain eating fungus or something, which, you know, honestly is so much scarier. Like <laughs> when you think about it. <laughs> right, be especially like if it's not, you know, a human sized monster that you can fight and defend yourself from, it's like tiny spores. You know, life in the time of COVID, that seems like daily life now. But theoretically, an invisible enemy should be scarier. <gasps> yes, like theoretically, that should be a little scary. And sorry, that's my dog. She's um, apparently also scared of like the ghosts in the walls. Io, everything is fine. But yeah, so like straight up, like, like this video game is so scary. I mean, and you know me, I obsess over horror stuff anyway. Yes, Katie's been a fan of zombies for a while. Scariest freaking video game ever. And you were telling me, I know at one point, that this is like like a real life legit thing. Yes, I was super excited whenever I saw the game being played because I was like, wait a second, that's the cordyceps fungus. That's a real thing. And so I got really excited that they actually model, I mean, what looks like the most unique zombie design. And actually, like, of course, the character design is amazing, but biologically it's the most realistic to a quote zombie infestation or infection in nature you look very skeptical so as your best friend i have so i have so many questions 
first of all, why do you know what that is? And then second of all, like your choice of words with like amazing, incredible, you know, that those aren't the feelings that are that come from me when I'm playing the game, you know, terrifying, scary, horrifying facial features. Those well, are the pretty. That, they are not. They're pretty cool. Especially when they're trying to eat you. But okay, so you were saying this is like a, what kind of fungus? Corda, corda what? So in the game, I think they call it just, uh, yes, they call it cordyceps brain infection. Yeah, but what what did you call it? Uh, well, Ophiocordyceps is the actual genus of fungus that does a very similar thing to ants. So to kind of give everyone an overview or a heads up what we're going to be doing with our spooky season uh, series of podcasts is we're going to be talking about zombies. We're going to start with uh, Katie's inspiration of the fungus-driven zombification. And <laughs> uh, after that, we will progress to other forms. Which is just a great spooky season topic. Yeah. Well, we'll after that, we'll go forward to other uh, forms <laughs> of zombies in nature. And uh, so I could start with kind of what I'm going off as a definition of being a zombie with a mindset of what was originally kind of defined as a zombie in like for people in culture and um, specifically Haitian voodoo, the history of creating zombies. Basically it involved what? I'm just laughing at your random knowledge base. I want to say for anyone listening right now, Erica hates all things horror and spooky, but apparently has a plethora of knowledge on the undead. I don't know how that makes sense, <laughs> well, but it's I fine. mean, it's not so scary if it makes sense, right? <laughs> no, yes. No, no, it's, it's still scary. It's still scary. <laughs> so, like, historically speaking, a zombie is someone in Haitian culture who has been basically drugged by a bokor, who is more kind of a witch doctor figure. And, I knew that. Uh, bokor, a bokor would, yes, you live in New Orleans, you know this. Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> I know that. You, you have the basic uh, voodoo facts, but, so <laughs> bokors would drug people uh, with actually some natural poisons like tetrodotoxin and datura, and basically it would cause the victim to develop what we think of as a lot of the stereotypical zombie symptoms like a difficulty walking and confusion and trouble breathing. Um, and eventually, uh, especially the tetrodotoxin, uh, would lead to paralysis and coma or death. So assuming that you didn't get death and you just got coma. Assuming you just got death and not coma. <laughs> then that person could be buried and the bokor could go and dig them up and then they would be quote <laughs> if you kill someone then they can't work for you okay priorities right, okay fair enough fair enough <laughs> all right please continue my bad um so basically if someone was just in a coma but they looked dead because they had really shallow breathing low heart rate that kind of thing um they could be buried and then the bokor could go and dig up their quote body and that person would be you know ostensibly raised from the dead and basically the bokor would just keep them drugged all the time and use them as cheap slave labor basically I, I, actually a quote from my brother is that necromancers aren't evil they're just lazy why do it when you can like zombify someone and make them do it for you? Basically. I mean, side effects include like brain eating. <laughs> well, I mean, tales of this spread because it's so sensational, but it's thought to be a pretty rare practice if it were to happen. <laughs> they would say that. 
Well, a lot of the information from this does come from one guy named Clarivius Narcissa, who claimed to have been a zombie and worked for a Bocor until basically he managed to not be drugged for long enough that he could escape. And I think he went and like found his sister who was like, I thought you were dead. And <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, I think he wrote a book on the subject. So there's more details on that end, but historically this is kind of the, what the, where the tradition of zombieism comes from. And so that's actually a good segue into zombieism in nature um, rather than like the, you know, just rage filled, I want to kill and eat brains kind of zombie. <laughs> the idea of one f being or organism kind of co-opting the behavior and will of another organism for its own gain, like for the parasites gain, as it were, that that is, you know, kind of what we see in nature. So I'm, thinking of zombieism basically as damn nature you scary <laughs> so i'm going to be thinking of zombieism as one organism inducing uncharacteristic detrimental behaviors in another organism for their own selfish benefit so mind control mind control or behavior control yes you know because a lot of things we're going to be talking about are ants and other insects that you know they're eusocial, how much of a, quote, mind do they have? But behavior control is something you can see. So that's what we're going to be looking at as evidence of zombieism for our spooky season spectacular. <laughs> so, uh... Behavior control. Zombies. So let's start, like you said, with the category of fungi, and specifically the fungus that the... Cordyceps brain infection from The Last of Us is modeled after. Terrifying little zombie plant people. <laughs> yes. That's what they are, man. They have like flowers sprouting from their face. They are not cool. So we'll talk about the genus Ophiocordyceps. Okay. Orpheo, wait. Ophiocordyceps. Orpheocordyceps. And I'm like Googling words while you say this. O Ophiocordyceps. So O-P-H-I-O. Okay. O-P-H-I-O. Cordyceps. Okay. Got you. So I... All right, so I got that pulled up. You can Google like that plus ants or something. Oh, I don't want to. No, I, I look, I look, I don't trust you anymore. I know the pictures you send me to look at. I don't trust you. There's no trust. The trust is broken. I don't need to see something getting like liquefied. No trust. I don't think it's liquefied. They just have like spore stalks bursting out of their heads. It's really cool. Nah, dude, I'm straight. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to start with them because, like I said, that's the closest to what the video game was modeled after. But the awesome thing about them is there are several different species in the Ophiocordyceps genus that are all very specific parasites of different ant species. So the different ants basically co-evolve with the fungus that is trying to use them as a both food source and a reproduction vector. So I think some of the, the best pictures that I've seen have specifically been for uh, carpenter ants. And- Ooh, gross. Ugh. Oh, you find some pictures? I did. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's gross, Erica. No, it's fine. No, it's not. I mean, it's not great. They get kind of like overgrown with fungus and then, and then just like the zombies in The Last of Us, the fungus bursts out of their head and explodes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's... Hey, it gets a little worse for the flies we're going to talk about later. Oh, all right. Katie's going to make that noise a lot, especially next week when we talk about oh, words. Oh, this is nasty. Oh, my God. Look. <laughs> Look. 
Gross. Okay, continue. So apparently we have ants with like weird things. Like, why did I look at that? I didn't need to look at that. You were explaining it just fine. All right, keep explaining. Why did I look at that? Okay, so we're just kind of walk through the process of how to make a zombie ant. <laughs> so uh, stage one would be infection. So we're talking about carpenter ants and fungi that live in the rainforest primarily, um, just as a climate that's good for fungi to grow in. And there's lots of ants in the rainforest. So the ants typically are walking, you know, along the rainforest floor and they come in contact with the spores and the spores can be, have erupted from a fellow ant or from another way in which the fungus has reproduced. And basically the fungus eats a hole through the outer shell of the ant. And the thing that the ant does that to me makes this count as zombieism is that the ant is then compelled to start climbing. So once the infection kind of spreads throughout the ant's body, it gets the bright idea that it needs to go up. So the ant leaves kind of its colony where, you know, all it does is do exactly what all the other ants are doing and suddenly decides it's going to start climbing trees and it climbs to where is a better climate for the fungus to grow. And so you might start to get the idea that this might be the fungus's idea. So... <laughs> The ant actually crawls up a tree to a kind of humidity and temperature level that the fungus likes and then crawls to the underside of a leaf so that whenever the uh, fungal growth that erupts from the ant's head, it will be pointing down towards the ground. So the ant climbs up, grabs onto a, a, a leaf and locks its jaws on the bottom of onto the leaf so that no matter what, it cannot move. Even if the ant dies, its jaws are locked in place and it cannot move. And so recent studies... Oh, well, that's terrifying. <laughs> so there was a paper in PNAS that was investigating the uh, way in which the fungus actually is controlling the ants at this stage. And they actually have some really cool like 3D reconstruction of the basically the fungal fibers wrapped around the jaw muscles of the ant and so the fungus actually induces the ant's jaw to actually clamp down on the leaf and not be able to let go like i said even once the fungus body erupts from the ant and the ant dies uh it's stuck there forever so um well. they have shown that that in this case it's not mind control or brain control it's muscle control technically so once the ant is stuck up there uh the fungus actually erupts out of the back of the ant's head and the ant is on the underside of this leaf so as the fungus comes out it's pointing straight towards the ground and then the fungus does what fungi do and pfft, releases spores everywhere and that basically creates a cone of death underneath the fungus as all of the little spores rain down and rain onto other ants who are then infected and induced to do the exact same thing. And this is how the fungus propagates itself. You look skeptical. See, man, I can't get on that same wavelength with you where you're like, like positive and happy. I just keep imagining like scenes in movies where like this legit happens where like zombies run into a crowd of people and then like explode or like projectile vomit on other people. And I'm like, I mean, it's, I don't know. I didn't think you could make zombies grosser, but somehow making them, fungus makes them grosser. <laughs> well, I mean, if they were like juicy humans who explode, uh, that sounds way worse. Well, quit it. But I mean, but but that's actually a very good analogy. All right, I'm going to ask the question that I'm going to continuously ask. Uh -huh. 
what is the likely because you know nature does this crap mm -hmm. right where it's like it starts with small animals and then it's like oh we want bigger animals what's the likelihood of this ever being like a people problem because i need to know if i need to like move to antarctica or something <laughs> where fungi don't live yeah fungi don't live in antarctica they don't like the cold y'all i don't either but i could adapt <laughs> uh i mean it's a good question i think it's probably not super likely because um as far as i know most of these fungi that infect these insects because um, the three we're going to talk about today are all insects uh, they're very species specific and the fungi appear to have co-evolved with the insects which is why so i mentioned for the ants there's like a different species of ophiocordyceps fungus that matches up with lots of different ant species so like each each ant has its own specialized uh fungus parasite zombie fungus yeah. right so there's a um there's a co-evolution of host and parasite, basically. And as far as I know, uh, there's not one for humans, but there are many existing, I was gonna say life forms, but then I was gonna put viruses on the list, so that's not right. But there's a lot of things that can affect how humans interact. We're, next week, we're gonna talk about some worms that do actually induce behavioral changes in humans. And we know that viruses like rabies can really induce uh, behavioral changes in lots of large mammals, including humans, uh, to induce, you know, aggression. I've seen 28 Days Later. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was a mutant rabies virus in that one, wasn't it? Totally mutant rabies. Terrifying. So I don't know that we have a paired up fungus that's ready to uh, attack us or any other large mammals, but... Go humans. Go humans. Yes, humans. This is why we're the superior species, ants. Well, this is why we're better than y'all. You can, uh, yep. you can kind of diss on the fungi that attack ants, but wait, there's more. Oh man. All right. Continue. So, uh, Yay. moving on from the Ophiocordyceps that attack ants, let's talk about the, uh, Entomopthora, which is a genus that means- Don't ask me. <laughs> well, I'm not sure how to say it because there's too many <laughs> P-H-T-H, you know, I'm not quite sure how to- edge that in but um basically it's greek for insect destroyer oh i love when scientists name things they're just like we're gonna make it latin <laughs> so it sounds cooler well if you let non-scientists name things you end up with bodie mcboatface which i mean to be fair i love bodie mcboatface as a name hey but but, but you know what it is don't you no i'm you telling know, you and you know what do you think bodie mcboatface is it's a boat it's not it's a submersible it's a boat it's not even a boat <laughs> Hey, it's a boat. It's the. It's, it's a boat. It goes on water. No, it goes underwater. To the general public, it goes on the water. It's it a boat. It goes under the water. Isn't it the submersible that's like on the HMS David Attenborough or something? It's it's attached to some like. They tried to name an actual hey. ship, Bodie McBoatface, and then does it go on water? The, no, it goes in water. Different preposition. Anyway. It touches water. It's a boat. I can touch water. I'm not a boat. It touches water. It's a boat. <laughs> <laughs> it's a boat. All right, all right, all right. Distraction. Okay. Maybe your boat. You don't know. You could be a boat if you're on the water. I'm on a boat. <laughs> I'm on a boat. Um, okay. Okay. We're si we're serious. We're real podcasters. Science. All right. Go science, ahead. Science. Zombies. But science. We're talking about the insect destroyer. Anyway, so basically that genus, instead of attacking ants, they go for uh, moths, aphids, and flies. And so we're specifically going to be talking about uh, their attacking of flies. I love moths. Yeah. Moths are nice. I don't like moths. They look pretty, but I don't like them inside, you know. What do they do to the flies? 
Like that's pretty much the same thing they do to the ants. Oh, no. Uh, so we'll walk through that. Um, oh, no. But I was going to say one more thing about uh, oh, no. mo- moths. Was that the, the most that I see moths is when my girl cat, Simmerine, catches a moth outside. It's like the only thing that she's fast enough to catch. And sometimes she'll walk inside with a moth in her mouth. And she walks in going, and making weird sounds. And I was like, what do you have in your mouth? And then she goes like, and then a moth flies out of her mouth. And I'm like, ew, you have dusty moth mouth now. And the moth is like, ah, I've been saved. Yeah, basically. So anyway, just I'm kind of going off a few, like I said, recent publications here. Um, so for the flies, the publication that I'm looking at is an eLife paper from 2018. And they were talking about basically the infection of this uh, entomothora fungus into flies. And they have a very similar route of infection. So for them, the fungus lands on the, the fly's cuticle, which is like the hard bit covering their like abdomen area. Yeah. And you can actually see in pictures the like little where, little dots where the spore enters and then kind of burrows through the cuticle. I'm looking at it. It kind of makes stripes. Right. They do. So the stripes actually is the fungus bursting through the segmented portion of the oh, fly's no! body. Oh. And so the the stripes are like it. the fungus just going like squooshing out of the abdomen. Oh, that's gross. I'm going to stop looking at that. So um, similar to what happens in the ants, the fungus burrows through the cuticle, gets into the organs, and then eats all of the internal organs and fat of the flies and so then the uh fungus after it consumes the fat and the internal organs will then make it into the brain and the ventral nerve cord which is kind of what uh, flies have in lieu of a spine i guess spinal cord so the fun thing about flies is that you know for ants they have a pretty you know a relatively solid idea of we're going to climb you know x amount of meters into the trees Climb to the underside of a leaf. Yeah. But um, with the flies, it's been super well documented about their end of life behavior. So similarly, uh, the flies get this, you know, quote, uh, zombie gait where they get all like they're walking all shaky and slowed. They lose their ability to fly. Um, They can basically respond if you poke them, but otherwise they kind of don't do a lot. Um, But then what they do is they also start to climb. So they don't fly anymore, but they start to climb up a, you know, a surface. If you put them like, you know, in an experimental condition, if you put them like in a test tube or something, they'll just start to climb as much as they can. With their shaky little zombie walk. Yeah. It's not pretty. So the flies don't have like the big mandibles like the ants do. So this fungus can't attach itself using the ant jaws, you know. So what happens with the flies is they are compelled as it were to extend their proboscis and keep it there long enough for the fungi to grow little holdfasts off of their tongue and attach it to whatever surface they're on and so the proboscis becomes a affixed to the surface that they're on that is disgusting it's what happens i'm just saying what happens science is gross man science is gross so this happens pretty soon before death, just like the wording they used was like tens of minutes. But so the funny thing is, is this is all triggered by sunset. So this it happens just before sunset on like their fourth day of infection, I think. Yeah, 
120 hours. Okay, yeah, I just want to point out that, like, the fact that this is, like, setting up, day, like, it's, like, specific days, mm -hmm. like, point of infection, and then it happens right before nightfall. It's really playing into the whole, like, creepy, creepy season vibe. Yes, so, uh, just before sunset on the fourth or fifth day of their infection, depending on when they got infected. But, um, so they, they do this climbing. They extend their proboscis. The fungus grows along out to next to their proboscis and attaches it to the surface that they're on. And then they assume the death pose, which is literally what they call it. But what it is, is they start to raise their arms like this, uh, their, their wings. Sorry, they raise their wings behind them. Um, and this is, uh, unfortunately, you know, for the benefit of the fungus. So this takes about two hours and lasts for, you know, like 12 hours, I think, till the next morning. And uh, you know how you, when you saw the picture, you noticed that they started to look really uh, stripy and segmented. This is the point where the- Yes, fuzzy. This is the part where their fuzzy, their fuzziness, the fungus, starts to erupt from their abdominal cavity. Um, and just basically the conidiophores, which are the spores, start to launch out of the fly and uh, try to hit other flies. And so with the fly's wings raised, uh, there's not an obstacle for, uh, you know, that's not blocking the path of the spores. So basically the fungus has forced the flies to raise their wings for the benefit of the fungus, because it's like, I need you to climb up high, get attached, and then hold your wings up so I can attack other flies. And the flies will stay there for a while. Um, and one of the things that they- That's horrifying. <laughs> one of the things that they mentioned in the paper also was that uh, when female flies die, like male flies will still go up and try to mate with them. And in that way they can become infected with the spores as well. And these spores, they launch at like 20 miles an hour. Okay, so now we've hit necrophilia on the podcast. Part three, the next one we're going to talk about also has some, uh, not necrophilia, but like gross fungus induced mating. We'll say that. What? We'll get there. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, but these, these things launch at like 20 miles an hour. It's like an intense. <gasps> so yeah, the, their goal is to hit other flies. It's an attack. Yeah. And that they can reproduce in a new fly and consume all of their delicious internal organs and fats. Um, and uh, fun times, right? No, no, not fun times. Gross times. So the last one I want to talk about is something that you and I actually saw a little article about on Facebook a while back that was talking about uh, zombie cicadas. Yes, I remember that. And I remember being like, hey, I've heard of this. So the very last one I wanted to talk about, because frankly, cicadas are already a little creepy because they live underground for like seven or 13 years, depending on the species. And then they just emerge to sit in the trees and scream. Uh, so they're already kind of zombies. In the periodic, like emerging from the ground. Yeah. That's zombie-ish. Oh yeah. So moving on to kind of our last paper. Uh, it's a scientific reports paper from 2017. And it's about uh, cicadas and a uh, massospora fungus. So it's a totally, it's a different genius than the Ophiocordyceps or the Entomophthora. This is called massospora, specifically the species massospora cicadina, meaning it attacks cicadas. So 
the reason I wanted to bring them up again, not to kind of belabor the point of, yes, the fungus uh, attacks the organism, goes in through the, the cuticle, eats all the internal organs, um, things like that. What's different in this is the method of how it spreads. Uh, it For the cicadas, um, it doesn't induce them to, you know, go high and attach themselves to something so that spores can rain down on other unsuspecting animals. Uh, they actually kind of have two mechanisms of spreading the fungus. So this fungus, the massospora fungus, has kind of two life stages. And the first life stage, um, the cicadas can be infected from like new growths in the ground. And then that stage one fungus will grow in the first group of cicadas. When they sprout new spores, those will attack a second group of cicadas with a stage two fungus. And then that fungus is the one that okay. is designed to spread back am among nature in the soil so it can grow again. Gross. So it's like a two-step process for um, just increasing their dispersal. Because they can't do something nice like have pollen and attract bees and say, no. just spread my pollen this way. No, they want to intact multiple generations of or multiple groups of cicadas and have it spread that way. So fun times. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, if you can zombie, why not zombie, you know? Basically, I guess that was the thought process. Uh, anyway, so the, the thing that's different, again, about the spread is the route of transmission is not trying to get them to just be still and allow the spores to spread, this fungus actually induces a behavioral change that makes the males feel sexy. Oh, good <laughs> lord. Once again, back to the necrophilia part of this podcast. Hey, they're not dead yet. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, basically the change in behavior here is that um, generally in like for cicadas, their mating process involves like the males will make sounds that indicate their availability to mate and then the females will respond with like this characteristic what they call wing flicking behavior so they kind of uh, flick their wings uh, in a way that gets the male's attention and indicates that they're available as a sexual partner so the males that are infected with the stage one fungus will do the same thing so the fungus will have them respond to sounds of like male mating calls. Whoa. Sorry, I was trying to actually look up like zombie evil cicadas. <laughs> Apparently that's a very popular Google. I got a very odd ad. Nice. Which makes me very worried about what you're about to say. Well, okay. So basically the, the male cicadas that are infected with the stage one fungus, they actually participate in the wing flicking behavior uh, similar to uh, like sexually available females. Oh. Well, that'll induce um, confused male cicadas who think they are going to a mate with a female because of the behavioral change. They are actually, they go up and are like have contact with the infected males and that allows for transmission of the stage two spores to the new male. Females actually don't have that behavioral change because it's a normal behavior for them, but actually they do keep doing the behavior even once like the fungus has eaten away m the majority of their abdomen and presumably all of their gonads so that they're no longer capable of mating. That's so gross and terrifying. Oh, it gets a little worse. I'm Googling it. So the, like if the males try to mate with an infected male, then uh, those new males just get infected themselves. The, I guess, bonus for the fungus is that if females get infected and a male goes to mate with them, not only does the male get infected with, the sp with stage two spores, but 
from some of the pictures I saw, apparently her gonads can just get ripped right the heck off. And basically it exposes her abdomen, which no longer has internal organs or gonads or fats or anything. It's just full of spores. And so basically it rips the female's abdomen in half and all the spores just go poof, like a bag of flour that you just opened too aggressively and you spill flour all over your counter. Damn nature, you're scary. <laughs> oh, Erica, no, I'm definitely never playing my video game again. Uh, like I said, the that's just the, the behavior of the cicadas that are affected with the stage one spores. And then the stage two spores, actually, they don't have this behavior. Um, oh, and I forgot to mention their gait. These also, the infected ones also have that like staggering slow gait also. Uh, but it's so that they drag their abdomens on the ground and leave a trail of spores that other cicadas will walk through and also get infected. Uh, with the stage two... This is without a doubt the nastiest one so far. <laughs> Just wait till next week. Um, but that's why we're wrapping oh. up with it. Um, so the uh, the stage the one the cicadas that are infected with stage two spores they can actually still fly. So the stage one uh, cicadas they have trouble flying and walking, but the stage two ones can still fly because they need to spread the spores to just nature in general so that it can get to the dirt and grow no new fungi. Um, so they can still fly. So further evidence that, you know, the be behavioral changes are being induced by the fungus. And that's what makes me qualify it as zombieism. And, and I love the wording that was in the scientific reports paper. They said that the the cicadas that are affected with stage two spores fly more and quote visibly spew spores from their abdomens. So it's like I didn't know that was a language I could Blech. use in scientific writing. Spew. Anyway. Blech. Nasty. So those are my three examples of fungi zombifying insects in the natural world and the inspiration behind some of Katie's favorite uh, video game zombies. So. <laughs> Favorite may be a questionable term now. These were Katie's favorite video game zombies. They're uh, no longer Katie's favorite video game zombies. Thank you for disturbing all of us, Erica. We thoroughly appreciate it <laughs> because it is Creepy Month. And that's the point of Creepy Month. Yes. And, um, I mean, we definitely need it now. So before we log off, we definitely are going to very quickly touch on our mental health minute. I definitely need it now, <laughs> uh, especially after listening to, like, Spew for the past like 45 minutes. So thank you for that. Um, I'll start my mental health this week. Um, I've been focusing very heavily on self-care. I'm actually uh, started like a self-care TikTok for my students. Um, I'm terrible at TikTok, like so bad at it, but I'm having a really good time. And uh, I've been playing some, some video games lately as like my self-care, definitely switching to non-zombie video games for the rest of the week though. So how about you, Erica? <laughs> uh, so I'm, doing good you know works busy but uh my uh, mental health minute suggestion was going to be you know to now that the weather's getting a little cooler go out and enjoy the weather get outside it really kind of does wonders i um i know that you know going outside doesn't fix all of your problems but this past weekend uh danny and i have a friend who was having a real rough rough time at work and so we the three of us went out to uh tr the levee by the red river and just walked around for a couple hours and it was really nice to be outside and see the sun and the breeze and all that kind of jazz so try to get outside if you can while the weather's yeah, nice just avoid the zombie bugs yeah hey be glad that none of the spores you're breathing are probably designed to uh zombify you like any of the examples we saw before the air that you're breathing probably won't kill you probably no guarantees though it probably won't make you a zombie 
So if you have questions about anything you heard today, don't forget you can hit us up on our email at southernsciencechicks at gmail.com. And we will see you next week. I'm going to go ahead and give a spoiler. Next week's going to be a lot rougher. I've heard her talk about this next topic. Yes, no eat, don't plan to eat during next week's show. Do not eat before you shall. Y'all have a great week in the meantime. Do you ever tell the friends we knew that you